Are you just as curious as I am what these new rules are? The new rules for love, sex, and dating? Hmm. Or maybe are you just wondering that there was this archaeological find last week that they found a lost book of the Bible and it had rules in it, and now they're new to us? Or maybe you're just thinking, we are just making this stuff up. That's possible you're thinking that. Or maybe you're just sitting there feeling just a tad uncomfortable that we're even talking about this. And, you know, one unhealthy way to deal with uncomfortable feelings is just to change the topic. So I just, this couple weeks ago, got a new Suburban. Here's my old Suburban, 1999. It's awesome. I love it. Um, there you can see Christmas trees. Remember all the Christmas trees that we had up here? Um, every year for many years, piled like 10 Christmas trees on top and inside. <sighs> so dear to me. Um, but it just came to the point in life where I needed a vehicle that other humans wanted to ride in. So I got a new Suburban. Ta-da! Isn't that nice? So nice. Uh, it's clean. You know the problem with this one? It is so, like, pristine that actually this past week I was getting a couple bags of concrete, and before I loaded them in, I dusted off the bags before I put them in. The other Suburban, I actually hauled trash two times to the transportation. I just threw everything in there, concrete, carpet, broken down boiler thing. It's just, I just threw it in there. So I have this new Suburban. You know, I went from 1999 to 2000. So it's new to me. Maybe not new to the world. And this is the sense in which we are talking about the new rules of love, sex, and dating. Because um, these rules, maybe you have not heard them before, and so they are new to you, even though they've been around a long time. Or maybe you've heard these things before, but you've not been practicing these rules in your life, and so they feel new. Or maybe they are not new at all, and they are very familiar to you. And hopefully this week and these next few weeks will simply be an encouragement to continue the practices that you've been living by. So this morning we are talking about new rules in contrast to the current rules. Are you familiar with the current rules of love, sex, and dating? Perhaps if you've gone to the grocery store and checked out, there's like lots of magazines helping you out with the current rules telling you things you need to know, instructing you and informing you on all these things. So you can, you know, check out the magazines and they tell you things like 49 ways to have a better body or 72 ways to be better in bed or just a couple ways to have really white teeth because really, really white teeth, are it's going to make your life better for sure. That's the kind of stuff the current rules are talking to us about. The current rule of dating in particular is go get the right person. You know, just find the right person and everything will be right. You find the right person, everything will be all right. Maybe you've heard things like this said by um, people around you. You know, if I meet the right person, I don't have to be good at relationship. Because if I meet the right person, he will be good at re relationships. That's why he's the right person. Or maybe you've heard, you know, I don't have to be patient. Because if I meet the right person, there'll be nothing they do that requires patience from me. That's what makes them the right per person. Or 
Maybe you've heard this from married people. Oh, she's just not the right person. You know, if she was the right person, it wouldn't be so hard. Well, can I just say this morning that this current rules of relationship, the finding the right person idea, is just a myth. You know, these current rules for sex, love, and dating, they are focused on these external things about us, external things that sell magazines, external things that are fun and exciting, like get a better body and you'll be better in relationship, like find the right person and it'll all be right. But these externals are all about chemistry. They're just about the natural laws of attraction and mating. And it's missing some components of a whole relationship. There's something missing in those current rules. Um, In preparation, I was reading some things, and I read about a pastor who wanted to get in touch with the current rules of dating and what the landscape is like. So he gathered a group of um, single people who were in the dating game and just kind of had a conversation with them and heard their stories. And one story really stuck out to me. This woman was talking about her life where, you know, she grew up in a Christian home and was influenced by the Bible and God and Jesus and church. And that was kind of a foundation in her life. But when she went off to college, she just decided to leave that, not entirely, but just kind of put it in the back burner and focus on being in the dating scene, you know, in this singles dating culture. So she can imagine, she's telling her story, you know, I'm living this life, doing things. You know, sometimes I regret things, but I'm having a lot of fun. And yeah, along comes this meeting where she gathers with some people and meets this guy. And she tells how she meets this guy, and he's like the package. Like he has the looks, you know, he's got the personality, he has a job, very important. Um, you know, he's just this complete package and very interesting to talk to. And she said as she's talking to this guy, it became clear that he is a Christian. And not only just is he a Christian, but he's actually trying to live out these principles in his life. So he wants to live out his faith through his job. wants to live out his faith through his dating relationships. He wants to live out his faith in everything he does. And he's serious about it. And for her, she's like, oh, this is interesting. And kind of pulls her back into some of the things she's put in the back burner of her life and thinking about that. Well, she's all, you know, excited about this guy, you know, this guy, he's so exciting, and this guy, and somewhere along the line, she's home and sees her mom, she's telling her mom about this guy, and he's the complete package, and just so excited about him, and all these things, and this is, it's so fascinating, this is the thing the mom says, she says, you know, sweetheart, the problem is, a guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. And she said she literally fell on the ground into a puddle of tears because she knew it was true. She knew that it was true that this guy that she didn't really know she was looking for him, but once she saw him, she's like, yes, I'm interested in you. Well, he's not interested in me. And so she said that that was a moment of just change in her life where she said, I am going to switch things up here. I am going to reprioritize prioritize. I'm going to change my values, hang out with a different set of friends. I'm going in a different direction in how I live my life and how I date. So I have this distinct memory being on the phone with my friend Ben, friend and mentor Ben, when Susie and I were about to get engaged. 
So I was talking to Ben about these things, and wise Ben was talking to me and counseling me. And it was fascinating, because I remember Ben saying, you know, I often hear people in your stage talk about, you know, finding the right person. You know, this focus on the other person. You know, does this other person have the list of criteria that I'm looking for? You know, they, will they complete me? Will they, you know, be the person that I need? And he said, that's super common, hear that all the time. But he said, what I don't hear is people asking the question, am I the right person for you? And turning that around and looking at yourself and saying, well, am I the right person? You know, do I carry these characteristics of love and virtue and bring that into the relationship? And so Ben's question, I remember it distinctly because it just turned on the head, that current thinking idea of finding the right person. You know, and along our dating journey and engagement, Susie and I went to a conference where, you know, learning about all these things, right? And the speaker talked about, in your marriage, make it your goal to outserve the other person. He was like, if you make it your goal to outserve the other person, so many other things will fall into place. And he said, you know, I've never had somebody come into my office and say, oh, I am so mad. You know, every time there's dishes to be done, he does them before I get a chance to. You know, he does things before I even have to ask him. You know, he's always thinking about my needs, just paying attention and being proactive. So frustrating. I'm so mad. Like, you never hear that if you're from couples who are making it their goal to outserve each other. Again, it's just turning on its head some of the current thinking. You know, these current rules have this focus on finding the right person. And then somehow, magically, through whiter teeth, you know, life will be happy. The new rules, which are actually really old rules that God has established long ago, the new rule is to become the right person. You know, intentionally becoming the person that the person I am looking for is looking for. You know, it should come as no surprise that when you open the scriptures, there's no, like, how to find the right person instructions. But if you change the question and ask, God, how do I become the right person? The scriptures light up with so much about how we can become the right person. You know, in fact, as you look at the first page of the scriptures, it talks about how God created relationship. God created you for relationship. And, and you can now understand your wiring is that you want to be in relationship. You want to be loved. You want to hear, I love you. And when you hear that, there's a warm, good feeling that comes up inside of you. And that's a natural response because that is how God has created us to be, to be in love and to be in relationship. And that that love grows deeper as it goes through the struggles and the hardships of life together. So, this is the new rule. If you want, you know, like some really good dating skills and you want to improve your marriage or you just want to generally be a person people like and people want to be around, here's the rule. Become the person. Become the person that the person you are looking for is looking for. 
So the, the current rule says, oh, just go find the right person. And the new rule, God's rule is be the right person. And doesn't this change everything? When you kind of shift to, okay, I'm going to be the right person, it changes everything. Because if you're in a dating like spot in life and you are focused on, okay, I'm going to be the right person, that changes everything about how you're dating. Or if you're married and you think, okay, in this marriage, I'm going to be the right person. It's going to change your marriage. And in all of your relationship, you know, if you're an employee or you have coworkers or friends or family, if you're in those relationships and you say, I'm going to be the right person, that's going to change everything. And taking responsibility for who you are becoming. So this morning I want to look at one quick passage of scripture that talks about how we can become the right person. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 is famously known as the love chapter. You've probably heard it at weddings. You're going to hear it this morning again. But this is a list of qualities of love, kind of a list of the virtues of love. And by putting on these virtues and practicing them and developing them in our lives, we can grow into them. So here's the list of descriptions of love from 1 Corinthians 13. Four, three. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, love always perseveres, love never fails. I just want to walk through a couple of these in the list and kind of begin us thinking about how do we become the right person by putting ourselves into this list. So first, love is patient. Do you know, do you know what it means to be patient? To be patient means that you never pressure the other person. You never put pressure on the person. Never. You know, instead, love is creating as much space and room and margin as the person needs in that moment. So the opposite would be if you're in a relationship and instead you are all push, 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 and, you know, why can't you? Why don't you start doing this? Or what, ha have you thought about this? Or, and, or, well, all those questions and that push, 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 you're not loving that person. Not exactly sure what you're doing. Maybe you're just trying to work out your own agenda, trying to get your partner to hold up some kind of image management. I don't know what you're exactly doing, but you are not loving the person as you push, push, push. Instead, love is patient. Love creates space. And the bottom line is that patience just doesn't magically appear in our lives. Patience is something that we have to develop and grow in. In each place that we interact with people in our lives, we can practice patience with those people. And through that practice, through every date, every person you see, you are practicing patience and growing in it. I know this is not a dating or marriage example, but um, yesterday I was really caught up in this idea of love is patient. Um, 
Russell and I, my five-year-old son Russell and I, were um, changing the rims and tires to the winter rims and tires on my new Suburban, super awesome. And uh, love is patient means me letting Russell try, letting Russell learn, letting him make mistakes, letting him take forever um, to help changing the tires. And I hope that in my loving him through patience, something is growing in him too. Something's growing in our relationship. So then last night when I was putting Russell to bed, we were talking about changing the tires, and I was telling him about my grandpa who taught me how to change tires. And this is what really impacted me is that my grandpa was just a great model to me of patience in his love for me because he created the space in the room I needed to learn something, to do something. He let me try things and make mistakes and mess up. And he loved me through that. And his model of patience to me is something hopefully that instilled some patience in me. And hopefully now I am passing that on to Russell. Creating space with Russell, not only for him to learn how to do some things, but for him to bond with me and me with him. So, just because it's fun, here's a video of Russell. What you doing, Russell? Helping change the tires? Yeah, can that whole plate come off now? Some of them are still tight, huh? It's kind of okay. slow, isn't it? Yep, turn it. I've been done with that. So they're all loose, and then it, that whole circle will come off, okay? He has a cute little bib on. There you go. Is that it? One more. Oh, it's got to be close. Good job. There you go. Look at that smile of pride. Then we have to loose, we have to jack it up, loosen those, jack it up, and then put the winter snow tires on. Okay. Well, for better traction. Better traction. Ah, creating space through patience in your love. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, kind is not a word that we are kind of used to in our culture. So maybe a different word for kind would be love is considerate. You know what it means to be considerate? To be considerate is that you are taking into consideration how the other person feels. You're taking into consideration how the other person feels all the time. So again, this is not something that we just poof, magically have, but it's something that we have to develop and grow in. What comes naturally is taking consideration of how I feel. <laughs> what comes naturally is taking into consideration that, oh, well, if you're the right person, well, there'll be nothing to consider because you'll be the right person and you'll be perfect. But taking into consideration how the other person feels is something that we have to work at, to grow in. And it's intentional. You know, as you approach people in your relationships and you're around them, if you're in your mind thinking, okay, I'm going to think about how they feel, that is taking a step toward considering them, being considerate in your love. And it is through the practice of this that it develops and it grows. And I hate to burst your bubble, but in every relationship, there's going to be a time where you need to be considerate or patient or kind. And it just won't poof magically happen. You need to practice and develop it 
so that it becomes a part of you. Well, love, love does not envy. Ah, this little word is a hard little word in relationships because I think envy is a reason so many couples break up. You know, it's like the undercurrent in the relationship. You can't really ever put, put your finger on it exactly, but it's this undercurrent in the relationship that's going on that just causes discontent and dis-ease in the relationship. So envy, envy is when I don't feel good about me, so I'm not going to let you feel good about you. You know, envy is when I don't feel good about me, so I'm going to drag, drag, drag you down with me. And envy can happen in little ways and big ways. And here's a, just a simple little way that I think envy is happening all the time around us. It's just like this undercurrent that's happening. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody where you just don't feel listened to or heard? You know, if you, you tell your story and then immediately the person jumps in and tells their one-up you story and like tops you with their story. And it's just like that little bit of envy, like I can't let you get the glory in that moment. I gotta get for myself. You know, here's how it works. You know, you are in a date and they tell you this, or maybe you're just at the lunchroom talking to the coworker. But the person says, ah, oh, this past summer I did my first 14er. You know, I did, I climbed Bierenstadt, which is the easiest one. <sighs> Sorry to take away from that person, but I just did it, didn't I? I just diminished their story by taking it away. But you know how it goes, you know, like that person hasn't even finished saying their story about climbing beer and set, and the other person's like jumping in, well, you know, yeah, twice a week I go trail run beer and stat, you know, because I'm training for Everest again this year, and you know, you're just one-upping the story. It's like you can't just pause and listen to that person and appreciate them in their story. You have to get your moment in there and one-up. And so one way to counteract this kind of envy in our lives is to just hold our tongue, listen, and when somebody tells you a story, say, wow, that's amazing, good job, that's an accomplishment, good for you, and hear their story, and let them have their moment, rather, you, rather than you jumping in and taking the moment from them. You know, right along with love does not envy, the next two that kind of complete the list, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not proud. You hear we're talking about pride not in the positive sense, but in this negative sense, where this, we have an aggrandized sense of ourself, of our accomplishments, of our value. And as you think about being around people that have this aggrandized sense of self, what does it feel like? You know, are you opening up to this person or are you closing down? When they are looking down their nose at you and they think that they are all it and you are not, how do you feel? Open or closed? Of course, you're kind of closing down because it doesn't make you feel good to be around somebody who's looking down on you. And that, that pride and that boasting is not fostering intimacy in the relationship. It's not 
growing depth in the relationship. It's closing the relationship down. Our kind of natural response to pride and arrogance and boasting is to run away, to stay away from that person, to close down, shut them out. And that's where pride creates this wacky dynamic in relationships. This wacky dynamic where I don't want to be around you. And everything you say makes me want to like counteract it and push back. And so it's creating discord rather than harmony. You know, a practical way to practice love is not proud is to simply admit when we're wrong. You know, when you fail or mess up, to admit it. And when you need to, to say, I'm sorry. I don't know if you've, maybe this doesn't happen to you. Happens to me. Where I'm in a conversation and I say something incorrect and you get stung by that person correcting you. Um, I don't know how you feel in those moments, but I usually feel more like rising up with power to crush the other person with something <laughs> rather than saying, thank you. That's helpful for me to know. Well, this happened this past week. Um, Charlie and Susie and I are working on this really cool app thing, this daily practice during Lent. And um, I don't know if you knew this, but we just came out of the season of Advent for Christmas, and now we're going into the season of Lent leading up to Easter. And Advent and Lent are very similar words. And for whatever reason, every time in talking about this thing this past week, I always said Advent. And Susie politely and kindly corrected me each time. Do you mean Lent? Yes, yes, I mean Lent. And um, I, you know, it wasn't strong. It's a safe example to share. But you feel this, like, a little bit of rising up, like, <laughs> what about you? You don't want to push back, right? But instead, to say thank you in those moments, to be like, yes. I'm, I, I am wrong. I admit it. And in that, there's humility. There's a place of putting yourself in love that's humble and remains open with another person rather than shutting down. <sighs> love is not proud. It does not come naturally. None of these things come naturally. These are all things that we have to work at, to practice, to have on our mind in order to improve as we go about our days, practicing them. Well, the list goes on, and we're not going to dig into these, but love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not proud, love does not dishonor others. I just want to say this. Love does not dishonor others means you are not creating regret stories for others or for yourself. You're not creating regret stories. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. And as we put this list into our mind and let it be the filter that we're seeing our relationships and the way we want to interact with people, that's where the change happens where we become the right person you know right after this list 
the author adds a very fascinating line. And he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, which is reasonable enough. You know, when I was a child, I thought like a child. Of course, how can, else can you think if you're a child? You know, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. And I have a child. I know that it's not very good reasoning. But when I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Isn't it interesting? I put the ways of childhood behind me. You know, adulthood comes with some new rules. Rules about you taking responsibility for you and who you are becoming. You know, this is a shift from being a child where, you know, the world just does revolve around you, where people are just catering to your every need, and you just are like the center of everything. And shifting to being an adult where now you are taking responsibility for who you are and how you live in this world. And I think the reality is that we so often are approaching our relationships, thinking like children, reasoning like children, being like children, instead of taking responsibility for ourselves. And it's time for us to put childhood ways behind us and to become the people that God desires for us to be. You know, will you, as you go out into your week and whatever relationships you bump into, whether you're dating or married or with your coworkers or your boss or friends, whoever you are interacting with relationally, will you take responsibility to be the right person? Not expecting others to be the right person for you, but you taking responsibility for you and putting on these qualities of love. You know, our Heavenly Father has created us for relationship. God has created us to be in relationship and wants us to live in abundant relationships. You know, God doesn't have this list in order for us to be stodgy, stick-in-the-mud, boring kind of people. God has this list for us so that we can find life to the full, living in it, that we can find that abundance in our relationships. So the challenge I have for you in this series is would you memorize this list? Would you put it in your mind so that it can be the filter that you are thinking about and living your relationships through? And wherever you are at, to take a step towards intentional, intentionality in becoming the right person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to guide us into being the people that you designed us to be. I pray that we would find fulfillment and satisfaction in living these things out. Give us your grace to put love on and to live in it and to live generously in our love, generously in how we view other people, whether that's the closest person to us or somebody at work that we're just interacting with occasionally or just the random person we meet at the store and bump into. All across the board, God, would you give us the grace to live these things of love out and to put these virtues on? Give us your grace. Pray these things in your name. Amen.